From technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution, a culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and delivering the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. Today I'm speaking with Mark J. Terrell, the founder of Bright Resources. Thank you for joining me today, Mark. Oh, yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you got your start with the owners of Adaptive Systems, a successful 8A who sold their firm. I know everyone's going to want to know, what did they do differently to be so successful? Uh, well, that is certainly uh, an important question. Yeah, most of my clients um, are smaller businesses and uh, and other 8As as they're kind of coming up. So uh, they all want the same thing. <laughs> they want to do what these guys did, which is to now be semi-retired and have a house in Florida and a house in wherever else they want to be. Yes. Um, you know, I... I, um, I they did a lot of things differently. Um, the most important thing I think was that they were doing business, you know, with integrity, which I thought was very impressive. Uh, and it's the reason I, I joined them. I recorded another uh, podcast um, for a guy named Brad Pahari um, and kind of told the story of how I met those guys, but um, which is an interesting one. If you, if you give a listen, because uh, at first they wanted to kick me out of the building and then they ended up hiring me instead. Um, I remember down the stretch, as they kept growing and growing, um, one of the owners uh, I was talking with just said that, um, you know, it seemed like everybody was always wanting more. You know, their employees wanted more from them. Their clients wanted more from them. Um, you know, everybody, their subcontractors wanted more from them. Everybody is sort of pressing to get more, to get more. Um, and I think one of the most impressive things they did is to is to keep giving. You know, in that sense, to really not count every nickel, not, uh, um, you know, squeeze blood from a stone uh, when it came to doing the work that they were trying to do. Um, for example, I mean, a lot of people would say on their website, you know, oh, we're an employee centric organization or our employees are like the most important um, asset that we have. And that was literally one of the lines that we, they had in their marketing um, their employees are a great asset, but it wasn't just a line in their marketing, you know, um, they really, they really lived it. I watched them make decisions, you know, being so close to the ownership, I watched them make the decisions that clearly weren't to their benefit. Um, they would do the right thing by the employee when it came to benefits, for example, or when it came to uh, decisions they made about, you know, moving someone within the organization. They were wildly open to people making moves, you know, across programs and things like that, which oftentimes, you know, folks kind of want to keep their talent, you know, doing what they do well. And they just made the decision that that's not the kind of place they wanted to work. And so ev everyone that worked there for years to this day says that was a different place working there than the other places that I worked. You know, so they just, they kept doing that. And they also did quality work because of that. They really committed to that. And again, I watched them make a decision where pulled money out of their pockets to fix a program, spent money that wasn't funded to kind of play catch up on what the previous contractor had done and the expectations that were set there and just made the decision that it's more important that the client's happy than this money I'm pulling out of my pocket right now to fix it. And I think the last thing that they did really well is they told a good story. Uh, because they've also got to, in the BD 
the process, be able to tell that story about the quality that they're doing. And Frank Zemros, who headed their BD effort, was just a wizard at, you know, telling the story of the value proposition that they provided and what kind of these behaviors meant in terms of execution and what it looked like for them, you know. Yeah, what what a great company. Your article on G2X, How's the Market, has been one of our most read articles in 2020. And in your most recent article, you proposed several suggestions at the end for Fed Health IT leadership to support their recruiting team's success. We would love for you to expand upon those for our audience. Um, well, the, the first one, and the reason it's first, um, is was about recruiting's need for prioritization from leadership. This is one of the great things that that management team did for me, and that was to recognize that not every squeaky wheel needs oil and that there are certainly positions within the company that have priority. And this is a difficult thing to admit because, you know, every manager thinks that their open position is the most important thing and they should. That's, that's why they're in that role. But uh, they did a really good job consistently. We met weekly and we laid out, here's where the positions are. Here's what's getting coverage. Um, and they would prioritize, make this one a priority, that one a priority, these, this program a priority, um, and really allowed us to attack it because recruiting uh, will inherently get to a place where they don't have enough bandwidth, every recruiting team, because otherwise you're overstaffed. If you never get beyond the capacity of the recruiting team, then you're spending too much money on recruiting. Recruiting is needed when you win and when you don't win, they're needed less. And so there's going to be these peaks and valleys of demand. Um, that mean that recruiting doesn't have enough resources to accomplish the job at that time at the speed you want them to accomplish it, uh, and they need more resources then in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that was what they did well, is they just com- continued to guard, really just to give me the cover uh, to work on the stuff that they really needed me to work on and gave me the cover to not give prioritization elsewhere. And that way, uh, you know, we, we attack the things that are most important because you can't do it all, all the time. And if we think we can, we'll drive ourselves insane and into the ground. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was, that was really fantastic. And so that's what they did. They would have a meeting where I would show them all the positions and the aging and which positions had coverage. And, uh, they would say this is most important on a weekly basis. And that was kind of the tactical, uh, how they put it into, you know, business process. Um, and also in that situation, they, and this is another one of the, I think, pieces of advice there at the end of the article is, um, they created accountability. And if it isn't, it should be. So maybe, maybe let me look it up. Um, they created accountability within the organization. They believed that people were their most important asset. They treated them that way. And then in management practice, managers were responsible to make sure that they're, you know, that the line managers below them, uh, were, making recruiting a priority. We're not, you know, waiting to give feedback on a resume um, until the end of the week each week, that they would make it a priority to give attention to recruiting because otherwise it's really easy to punt that to some sort of arbitrary time in the future. And so they, they created internal accountability to go to the managers and be like, hey, look, this candidate has been sitting here for three days and you said this is the most important thing. Let's make it the most important thing. Um because their, you know, managers are so overworked as well. They've got more work to do than they have bandwidth. Um, and so it's really easy if it's not client focused or if it's not immediate fire nature, um, uh, for them to delay it. So that accountability was really, um, 
impressive, I think. One of the most important, besides that, those two, one of the most important things that they did is um, they asked me what I needed on a regular basis to get it done, and then they gave it to me. Um, they trusted me to spend money as I needed to spend money. Um, and when there were the peaks in demand, they, they let me, you know, reach out. They let me do what we needed to do, use another set of hands, find another staffing agency to support us, find, you know, a tool, a technology. Um, you know, they really, I guess, trusted me to spend the money in the right way to get it done. Um, I feel like recruiting teams are oftentimes just stretched real thin and pushed real hard and then not given that same trust um, and not given that same cover. Now, I'm sure you've seen a lot in 16 years of recruiting. Are there any stories that stand out for you? Uh, well, I could uh, probably write a book <laughs> with uh, with a number of them. Um, but, um, yeah, when I first kind of thought through this question as we were getting prepared, the first thing that stands out is – one of the first times I really felt like I helped someone get a job and it was very early in my recruiting career. I interviewed this woman um, who had lost her job. And so she was looking for another one, but the entire interview, she didn't look me in the face, did not make eye contact. I mean, maybe once at the end or shake my hand, but maybe not. I mean, I just remember thinking, you know, she didn't look at me once, but her job really didn't require a whole lot of eye contact, to be honest. Um, it was kind of a transactional accounting job. And so a position came open uh, with Black & Decker, actually, which is obviously a fantastic company. And for someone like this would be just a tremendous opportunity. She could work there probably forever. Um, and she had to interview. And before the interview, I had to give the, the hard feedback. And so I said, I said, look, I really want you to get this job. And I know, um, you know, when you met with me, um, you didn't make any eye contact. And I'm, I'm certain if you do that in this interview, it's not going to go well. So look, if you can't, uh, make eye contact, it's too trouble. Just stare at her nose. <laughs> just, if you just look at the bridge of her nose, she won't know that you're not making eye contact. Just find something to focus on. Um, and after the interview, she got the job, which was fantastic. But after the interview, she called me to debrief and she said, I did it. I just stared at her nose the whole time. <laughs> um, and I just, I love, I love coaching. I love coaching my recruiters to grow. Um, and I love kind of identifying that area of improvement that's needed with, even with the talent that I work with, you know, cause nobody's perfect. They could all use something somewhere. So, um, I think that's the part of the job I enjoy the most. And so, um, you know, that memory kind of sticks out to me. That's really great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Mark. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Um, anytime. Let's do it again soon. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts by G2 Exchange Media, please visit www.fethealthit.com and look for the podcast section at the top of the page. Music by Jam Studio, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated.